Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. The setting for this morning's scripture reading is Egypt, at a time when newborn Hebrew babies needed protection from the Pharaoh. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather to worship and to praise you, speak to the depths of our hearts. Speak to them such a way, O oh Lord, that we would clearly hear your words. And as they echo in our souls, let them transform us. Let them transform us in our lives so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So Monday night was one of those nights in baseball where the unthinkable happens. Where the unthinkable happens in Major League Baseball that happens once in a lifetime, if ever. It wasn't that the Dodgers were shellacking the Phillies 16-2. I mean, that's happened before. It'll probably happen again. It wasn't that, but it was that Justin Turner, one of the Dodgers players, found himself in one of the strangest places to be in baseball. He was arguing with an umpire. Now, that's not what's odd. I mean, baseball players do that from time to time, sometimes more often than not. Arguing with him, not about balls and strikes, but arguing with the umpire not to eject the Phillies pitcher 
Yaxel Ruiz. Now, Yaxel Ruiz had just hit Turner with an errant pitch, had just plunked him, and the umpire, Dan Eddings, had decided that this was a retaliatory strike. I mean, baseball has got this great set of unwritten rules. Like, if you run up the score against my team, if you show me up with a home run, the next batter up, I'm going to plunk him. I, it's, it's not Christian, but it's baseball. So the umpire had seen this. So, you know, they had just hit another home run. It ran the score up to 14 to 2. It was the eighth inning. I mean, the Phillies couldn't do anything to stop the Dodgers hitting. And so Ruiz throws the ball, and it hits Turner on the knee. And with that, Ebbings throws him out. Turner's arguing with him. He says, he didn't mean to do it. It was a slider that got away. Now, either Turner's really good and he can only pick out the pitch, but he was sure that Ruiz did not mean to do it based on the fact that the pitcher was very remorseful. I mean, how many times do we see that when you argue with the umpire not to hurt your opponent's team? Never, right? But yet Turner's there arguing with the umpire not to throw Ruiz out because... The umpire was wrong. You talk about some great sportsmanship. Here he is. He could let his opponent be tossed out and sent to the showers and go on about his business, but instead he argues to let him stay and play a little bit longer. Now, umpires being umpires, not moved by this argument at all. The game continues. The Dodgers win 16-2. But Justin Turner argued because it was the right thing to do. He argued because he wanted to stand up for what was right. Ruiz had done nothing at all intentionally to harm Turner. In our story today, we see this background of standing up for what is right. Now, a little bit of the background of the story, what happens is the Israelites, the Hebrews, they find themselves in Egypt they're there, and while they're there, first they're welcomed by Pharaoh, and then they're enslaved by Pharaoh. And Pharaoh watches their population grow, and he says to himself one day, we've got a problem. If there are so many of them, and as their population grows, if they ever get organized, they could stage a coup and overthrow my government. So he decides to come up with this idea of a slow genocide. He basically makes a rule that says that none of the Hebrew boys are, that are born are to live. And so he tells the midwives of his land, don't let that happen. The midwives, in the context, is think, this is immoral. This is wrong. They've done nothing wrong. So they don't listen to Pharaoh. And so when the population continues to grow, he finally says, What's going on? And the, 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 their argument is really quite clever, actually. Their argument, if we'd read back in chapter 1 of Exodus, their argument is this. The Hebrew women are good women. They birth their babies quickly before we can get there to help them. And so Pharaoh takes a step back and says, well, then here's what we'll do. When the babies are born, place them in the water. Again, thinking slow genocide. So what happens is we read the story this time. Now the midwives don't really have a choice. They, you know, they, they, they've sort of lied. To, they've stood up for what they believed in. 
But now it's taken it to a whole new level. Pharaoh is very concerned about his power. Well, Moses is born and his mother hides him away until it's obvious she can't hide him anymore. And fearing for his life, fearing for herself, she puts him in the basket and floats him down the river. Not a coincidence, I might add, the basket lands right where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. And she sees this child in a basket. And what does she do? She disobeys her father. And she pulls this child out of the basket, out of the river. She is no different than the midwives who continue to deliver the Pharaoh, I mean, continue to deliver the Hebrew children. She now raises one of them up and saves him and then brings him into her house as her own. If we fast forward a little bit longer, what we begin to realize is that Moses raised up in Pharaoh's house. One day he looks out and he sees the Hebrew people and how they're mistreated and he too says, enough. This has to stop. So what you see happening in this story in the book of Exodus is you see this idea of standing up for what is right. We see this idea of this juxtaposition of power where we have Pharaoh's power and his rule and his own concern for himself. And then you have God's power that's so much higher and so much more mighty. And the players are caught in this conundrum. Do we follow Pharaoh's power or do we believe in God's power? Now we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, don't we? We know that the midwives followed God's power and they found God's favor. We know that Pharaoh's daughter found and followed God's power and we know that she was favored. We know that Moses followed God's power and that he was exalted. And what we understand is that we see what happens when we do the right things. When we do the right things that God puts in our paths and we choose God's way, what happens in the world around us, how it has changed for the better, but even more so how our own lives are enriched. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. When we do that, we've realized that life provides these opportunities time and again for us to choose whether we'll do the right thing or not. We understand that when we choose to do the right things, the world around us, even if it's counter to what they believe, and what the world may want us to embrace, the world admires us for doing the right thing. And while the rewards may not be riches and power and fame, what we find in our hearts is God's favor and peace and contentment. Every day you and I get up, we are offered opportunities to do the right thing. Some are large, some are small, some have great impact upon the world and others just impact the world for one person. One day there was a woman walking across the courthouse square on her way to work and she noticed what she thought was a piece of trash in the street. It was an envelope and she decided to do the right thing to pick it up because otherwise if it just laid there, who else was going to do it? It makes me wonder how many people walk by that piece of paper and said, I'm not picking it up. I'm not picking it up, but she decided that she would pick it up. And when she did, she noticed that this envelope had some heft to it. 
So being curious, the flap was not sealed. She looked inside and there were 13 $100 bills. She stopped. She quickly scanned the square to see if anybody was watching her. If anybody was running back for it, she saw two farmers leaning on a pickup truck over here. And she hollered over. She said, excuse me, gentlemen, did you drop this envelope? And they said, no, ma'am, we didn't. She looked on the outer flap and she realized that it was from a local bank just a couple of streets over. She saw the name of the teller written on the outside. So she went to the bank and she said, I found this. Can you help me figure out which of your customers this belongs to? Sadly, they could not because all it had was the name of a bank teller on it and the cash in the name of the branch. But nobody could remember a $1,300 transaction. So here was a perfect opportunity for her to fund a dream vacation, buy a new piece of furniture, save for the future, do something with it. But what did she do? She took this $1,300, she took it to the police station, she filed it away with them in the lost and found, if you will, knowing that somebody in this small town would come looking for it because $1,300, I don't care who you are in the world, is a lot of money. It's dreams, it's visions, it's hope for the future. This is something that would be missed. Sure enough, a few days later, she got a phone call from the police and they let her know that the owner had come forward, was able to identify the envelope and the contents, and they were so thankful to have it back. Maybe the opportunities to do the right thing, those conundrums in life that we're faced with, maybe they don't offer a $1,300 payoff, but doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. See, God calls us to live and to act with a higher set of standards than sometimes the world around us wants to. God calls us to live with a higher set of standards in how we treat people, how we love our neighbor, how we live righteous lives. And it's when we do that, we realize what God is calling us to do and how God is calling us to be. Sure, we're supposed to live ethical lives and lead and function with good business practices, but how do we react how do we act when we look at the larger problems of the world around us? I mean, how is God calling us to act when we think about the humanitarian crisis on the border? Or we read about riots in Haiti? Or we watch the, di the daily migration of homeless persons up and down 4th and 5th streets here in our city? How is God calling you and me to act? I mean, how can we fix something, these problems that are so much larger than us, that are so much more complex than we understand when the world is so broken? How can we do the right thing? Maybe God is calling us to pray or to investigate why the problems exist or to serve one another or to advocate for change. Because surely God is not calling us to sit idly by and go, oh my, that's terrible, and then just change the channel. Surely God is calling us to be a part of the solution, not just observing the problem. Pee Wee Reese understood what it meant to do the right thing. When Branch Rickey signed Jackie Robinson, essentially breaking the racial barrier 
in Major League Baseball, the whole world was abuzz. Surely this was not going to happen. Some of the players on the Brooklyn Dodgers team, they wrote a petition up. They were going to have all the current players sign it. They were going to send it to management. And here's what it said. It said, we will not play if you bring Jackie Robinson up from the minor leagues. They came to Pee Wee Reese and they asked him to sign it. And he said, no, I'm not going to sign it. And they looked at the famous infielder and they said, but Pee Wee, he's good enough. He could take your job, put you out of a job, put you on the bench, put you out of baseball. And I love what Pee Wee Reese said. He said, if he's good enough to take my job, then let him have it. He's earned it. I'm not signing. And because Pee Wee Reese would not sign the petition, the players that hadn't signed it wouldn't sign it either. And those that had pocketed the petition. And it never went to management. But the story goes further. When the Dodgers came to Cincinnati, right after Jackie had been called up, as they're sitting there, as they're, as they're warming up in the infield before the inning, the fans are booing and catcalling and making a raucous noise, saying all kinds of hatred and unkind things. Pee Wee Reese walks over, puts his arm around Jackie, and they look at the stands together. They had a private conversation, but in that moment, the world took notice. The world took notice that Pee Wee Reese was welcoming Jackie Robinson to the infield and that the world needed to be on notice that Jackie Robinson was playing baseball. No doubt about it. It didn't fully silence the fans that day. But the cat calls were softer. The volume was lowered. And the world was changed because they took notice that Pee Wee Reese was a part of the solution, part of the change. See, when we do the right thing, the same thing happens for you and me. The world takes notice. The world takes notice and begins to question, begins to think about who we are and the example that we are providing the world. So when we do the right thing, when we advocate, when we speak up, when we act correctly, when we dispel rumors, when we won't let gossip happen in our presence, the world begins to take notice that those are the right things and the world begins to see that we are righteous people. Imagine with me, if you will, how wonderful the honor would be that you lived your life in such a way that when your neighbors had a conundrum, when your coworkers had an issue, when they were trying to figure out what was the right thing to do, when your friends did, when you're in your family, there were those issues. They called you up and said, we know you'll help us figure out what's the right thing to do. Because we've noticed you always do the right thing. But what we've learned is that doing the right thing doesn't always pay off in lucrative rewards, does it? Sometimes in doing the right thing in business by not gouging customers, not making a profit at all costs when it's all about you, but when you think about everyone, when you try to have good business practices, good ethics, sometimes we leave money on the table. I think about that woman and the envelope of cash. She missed out on a $1,300 vacation or a nest egg or new furniture. But she also 
could sleep well at night, couldn't she? She also was really glad to hear that someone had gotten their money, their hopes and their dreams embodied in an envelope that they were back in their pocket. If she had learned later in life that that person had missed out on something because they couldn't find their money. She couldn't have lived with herself, could she have? Same is true for you and for me. When we do the right thing, we have that peace of mind and our reward is that peace that we can sleep at night with ourselves. We find that the reward comes from God in heaven that when we all of a sudden begin to live the way God wants us to, that we find God's favor. The world sometimes preaches this gospel of he who dies with the most toys at all costs wins. But what happens if we decide to flip the switch and we decide that we want to live with this idea that everyone is treated fairly first, then don't we truly win? Because we have clean hearts and a clean conscience and our favor from God. Every day you and I are faced with opportunities to do the right thing. When we get up in the morning, we turn the TV on, we open the newspaper, we see what's happening in the world around us, and there's all these opportunities. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, I am troubled. I am troubled by the injustice that I see in the world where there are crimes against humanity, where the decency that we used to expect amongst people has seemed to have gone away, and there's an inequality and irreverence that goes on around our society. I'm troubled by the suffering that's caused by poverty and war and political strife. I don't know about you, but are you troubled by the name calling that we see in the press and in social media by adults in positions of power who are in a place to set an example? I don't know if you're troubled by that or not, but I am because let me tell you what, they're then responsible for setting an example for our world, for our children, and believe you me, our children are watching and they're listening. And so when they, see children, when they see adults act like children, calling each other names like children do, do you think they're not getting it? They begin to think that that's okay and it's not okay. It is not okay. I'm troubled, and maybe you are too, by the fact that we see people acting and doing things that are more or illegal, and when they get caught and busted by it and they're exposed, the first thing they do is they don't apologize and show any remorse. Instead, they just throw up another layer of denial upon denial upon denial. And so that canard just seems to maintain itself over and over again. Remember, the world is watching. God is watching. Our children are watching. And so what I think really happens is I think the world is begging for someone to do what is right every day. Someone is beg the world is begging for someone to do right today. And so what if today the person that did the right stuff was us? What if all of us gathered here in the sanctuary and watching on live stream decided that we were going to do the right thing? What if we decided that we were going to trust in God to find out what the right thing is? If we were going to lean on God, if we were going to claim God's power and be like the midwives in the Exodus story, like Pharaoh's daughter, like Moses, and stand up and say, enough. What if we demanded honesty and integrity from the world around us and not only demanded it, but we practiced it? What if we demanded kindness and we lived it? 
What if we demanded decency and we showed it? What if we demanded love and we gave it freely to everyone that we came in contact with? Well, here's what happens. I think if we do that, if we were to demand kindness and honesty and integrity and decency and love, if we demanded it, but we gave all those things too by the way we lived our lives, I think that we make a difference. I think we make a difference in the world around us and I think people take notice. And when one person takes notice and they begin to do it, more people take notice and it becomes to multiply and it becomes a force multiplier for God's grace and God's goodness. And when that happens, folks, I believe that the world that we live in will change. I believe that if we do the right thing every day, if we live lives of integrity and honesty, if we live lives giving kindness and decency and sharing love with every person that we meet, then we will change the world. And God in heaven will look down and will go, they get it. And God will smile. But more importantly, as the world changes, our hearts will be filled with love and we will find blessings upon blessings because we chose to do the right thing because it was the right thing and God calls us to do that every day. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.